Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. I believe once upon a time I warned you that our march through history on this little martyr expedition would be a little bit meandering. And today is a good example of that because we are looking at the span in the 15th and 16th century in England. So last week I told you about John Oldcastle and the Lollards and, you know, picking up where Wycliffe had left off and the charge of Lollardy. Well, that's going to be a thing throughout the 15th and the 16th century. So from the early 1400s to the middle of the 1500s, well, early middle 1500s, England again is a Roman Catholic kingdom, but now the transition is going to accelerate as you move from the 15th to the 16th century. And it really picks up speed thanks to uh, Henry VIII, I am, I am, simply because, you know, he couldn't get his family tree, you know, quite the way he wanted it. So that what it is what it is. And I mentioned some of the charges against the Lollards and some of the uh, declarations of the Lollards, but you can go all the way back to the 1390s for things like the 12 conclusions of the Lollards. And go uh, go look them up. There's some interesting ones because that I don't have listed right now simply because they're they're more cultural uh, culturally related and how sin manifests itself in that world. And it's fascinating to see how depravity has basically been a thing since, you know, forever. So what would Lollardy have looked like in official form? Conclusion one, English, the English church has become too involved in affairs of temporal power. In other words, the church has started to look like the state. And we've talked about this as we've gone through the early Middle Ages where you have secular and sacred offices merging together in the feudal system after the fall of Rome. Ceremonies for the ordination of priests and bishops are without scriptural basis. And they're right. Again, the consecration of priests and uh, priests. Priests and bishops became akin to a secular anointing of a prince or a duke. The practice of, celib of clerical celibacy has encouraged sodomy among the clergy. That's an owl. There are stories and innuendos and things mentioned about that in the Vatican to this day. Doct the doctrine of transubstantiation leads to idolatrous worship, worshiping of the wafer and the wine. Exorcisms carried out by priests are a sort of witchcraft. That's my favorite. So you'll ever notice whenever you do a, uh, a movie you need an exorcist, you know, you need somebody to drive the demons out of somebody, you got to go get a Catholic priest, right? Do you ever wonder why that is? Because I can give you a reason, because Protestants don't do exorcisms. I mean, there might be some, like, random Lutherans that do it here and there, but, you know, they're they're just barely Protestants. I'm kidding, Lutherans, I'm kidding. Calm down, I heard that from here. <clears throat> but no, why don't Protestants do exorcisms? Because exorcisms imply that you are demonically possessed. The cure for demonic possession is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which means preach the gospel and the demons go away. Therefore, we don't do exorcisms. It's all voodoo and mumbo-jumbo. It is inappropriate for men who hold high office in the church to simultaneously hold positions of great temporal power. Again, that mixing and melding of the sacred and the secular. 
and confession for the absolution of sins is blasphemous because only God has the power to forgive sins. Amen and amen. This is... Now, if you're, if you're a, a student of the Reformation, and we're going to get there eventually, but if you're a student of the Reformation, this, this probably sounds very, very familiar. That's simply because you have seen this sort of doctrinal fidelity by the Lollards in pockets of Christendom since the fall of Rome. And what I mean by that is the true doctrines of Scripture don't go away. They weren't lost. They may not be officially practiced, but they have not been lost. Just as Elijah was told, there's a remnant who has not bowed the knee to Baal. Christian, the gospel light has shined down through the ages, through history. It has not gone away. So with that, the story of the first Lollard officially executed in England was a man by the name of William Saltry. Salch. Sautry. Sorry, I don't want to put an L word. It does not belong. <clears throat> Now remember, this is what's always so weird and something you're actually going to see later on when you get to the Protestant Reformation in full in full blossom in the 16th century. William Sautry was a Roman Catholic priest because all of the clergy in the 16th century at the beginning were Catholic priests. That was the only priesthood officially arranged anywhere. So he was in Norfolk in two different churches there. Um... Norfolk is Eastern England, so if you're ever looking at a map of England, it kind of looks like a deformed pendulum a little bit. Well, if you go up to the very top of the right-hand side of that little pendulum sticking out on the eastern end, that would be where Norfolk is. At some point, and I cannot stress this enough, at some point during his priesthood, because we have no earthly idea. We don't even have a birth date for this guy, not even a decade. At some point, he becomes a Lollard and begins preaching Lollard tenants in his church. Now, you can just imagine that went over just just beautifully. They, they loved that. Now, again, this is now preaching against Rome. This is now preaching against the, uh, the ceremonial aspects of the church. <clears throat> this is not going to go well at all. So he is arrested, and he is imprisoned. And at some point in his imprisonment, it's not terribly long, he recants what's known as an abjuration, or he abjures Lollard doctrine. It means he, I take it all back. So because he has taken it all back and he promises to be a good little boy, they release him. He manages to move to London, be appointed in a parish again, and begin preaching Lollard doctrine again. So that means his abjuration was either... A lie or it didn't take. I don't know. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't care either. So, <sighs> preaching Lollard beliefs, again, brought in by that, uh, remember from Old Castle, that Thomas Arundel, brought in there, tried over several days. <clears throat> Sautry appeals. And he appeals that he does not want to be tried by Arundel, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's kind of the uh, the lead priest, the lead bishop in, in England. But he appeals to Parliament. And again, this is the oddity of this world that we just don't fathom, that the church and the state are so cozy together. It is an elaborate, detailed trial. Arundel questions Sautry on various forms of doctrine over the course of several days. The questioning by Arundel of, of, of Sautry on the Eucharist, 
transubstantiation, the function of the priest, the Eucharist questioning took up three hours of one day alone. That was the level of detail in the level of doctrine that was being parsed and handled. Sautry thought if he could make his defense from Scripture, which he did, it's recounted there, that he made his defense by quoting St. Paul and St. Peter and St. Augustine. <laughs> so you can already see the, uh, the tradition there well ensconced in the church. After three days, nope, he's done. So they have a conviction, and then they have a defrocking, where they systematically remove him from priest all the way down to doorkeeper. It takes seven steps in church office to go from priest to doorkeeper. And then he is officially removed from fellowship and excommunicated. In 1401, he is burned for his beliefs. This is the new thing that the Catholic Church at the time is trying out, is the burning of heretics. And they're going to have a lot of fun with that for a few centuries. Now, Sautry is the first. He's fairly well known. He will by no means be the last. We don't even have numbers for all of the Lollards. But they had one heck of an influence in England. And why do I say that? From 1510 to 1532, the London Diocese had 310 Lollards of Jure. Again, recant. Now, that's not a ton, That's but that's a couple a month. It's a few every month that they've arrested, tried, and got to recant. We don't have details during that time on how many they might have executed or how many they didn't catch. The Lincoln Diocese in 1521 alone had 50 abjurations and five burnings. The Kent Diocese in 1511 had 41 abjurations and five burnings. Those are just single years in single dioceses. This was going on across England. This is what it looks like when the light of the gospel shines and people hear it. The kingdom advances, the light marches, and the darkness rages. So we're going to have fun with Lollardy. We're going to have fun with England because that's we have so much information about England simply because of the work of so many of the Protestants there. And also because the English Reformation is unlike any other Reformation in Europe. It actually leads to splinter groups and separatists and the Puritans. And it's it's people being persecuted and then getting power and persecuting on their, in their own right. But again, realize that throughout all of this, the strand that needs to be remembered is that the gospel has not been extinguished and that the church is still carrying forward. Even when the official-looking church is dark, the true church shines brightly. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.